0: now and we seem to be on air. Good evening ladies and gentlemen, this is John Johnson in Glasgow, Scotland uh, broadcasting on Radio Edutalk and tonight I am joined by Ian Guest uh, at Ian and Sheffield on Twitter and I think it's uh, important to get her Twitter name in first Ian. Uh, Good evening.
1: Good evening John, thanks very much for inviting me back on, it's a delight to be talking to you again
0: Yeah, well it's, it's, it's lovely to have you and you, you've you've been um, on Radio Edge Talk before and even put some of your own um, research on 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 a, on, a, on some posts yourself, so it's great to have you here, and you're going to be talking tonight about your PhD which you have just finished, so I really should say uh, Dr. Ian Guest, and um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you're used to the the, the title yet. Um,
1: it depends very much on where you are and what you're doing. Sometimes it can slap you in the face and say, yeah. who, who's who yeah. are you talking about?
0: Yeah, or, uh, <laughs> I suppose medical emergencies are now a breeze. But we're going to be talking to you about the, the, your PhD, which was called Exploring Teachers' Professional Development with Twitter. And you've been on before, but maybe you could just start by giving us... a a, a potted history of your your life and education which led up to the point where you started this PhD?
1: Yeah, of course, John. Um, My early career, in fact, the first half of my career was spent uh, teaching physics in a secondary school in England. Um, I became interested in the use of digital technologies and from there moved on to a job where i was supporting teachers and schools in the south east of sheffield uh, for the local authority um it, supporting them in their use of um, technology and when that time limited project came to a close i went back into uh, a school a single school um it was an independent school cross phase so it was a very bit Different from where I've been before but doing a similar role to the one I'd just been doing and again I was uh, head of learning and ICT development manager and then that brought me up to the point where I began what's led to this interview I guess and that's um, undertaking a PhD which I did full-time over three years um, and was able to do so thanks to securing a studentship from the university I wouldn't have been able to drop my salary and uh, pay for the tuition fees, etc. Nor, indeed, could I have done as some people have rather uh, bravely done, which is undertake doctoral study whilst they're still in full-time work. I tip my hat to them. I don't think I could ever do that. So that brings us up to uh, pretty much where we are now, I think, as far as career is concerned.
0: And, I mean, obviously, one of of the things that, that... I'm trying to think of the first first thing to notice about you was you did the the series, a huge series of audio boos on um, technology and web-based tools. Uh, I can't remember, it was 365 something. I can't remember exactly what it was. Yeah, uh,
1: 366 Web 2.0, because yeah. it was a leap year, so yeah. I got an extra day in.
0: <laughs> and, uh, you, you know, you d- did all these podcasts about different tools, and at that time I guess that was the time Twitter was coming up Um, is that where you started being interested in Twitter?
1: Yeah that's a good question I think I was involved with Twitter a little bit before that but not so much Um, if I remember correctly it must have been 2012 I guess if it was a leap year I would think that I did that extended series of podcasts Um, and I was on Twitter or I Started on Twitter in 2009, so perhaps just a little bit before. Um, it was, yeah, I can still, th- there's a little bit in my thesis about it, about the point at which I actually started on Twitter. And of course, um, as Twitter gives you these reminders about when your Twitter birthday was, and uh, my 10th birthday came up recently, so it reminded me that it was in February 2009 and gives you exact taking time but I can remember vividly the room at the university where I am now uh, the room we were in and the people who were there and I'm still in contact with some of those people they were on a masters module that I was studying so um, interesting that that small acorn led to where we are now
0: mm. and I, I'm guessing two, that's 10 years so nearly 10 years maybe what, how many years to take the PhD 3 years? Three years, so about seven years of Twitter, you then thought this is worth um, exploring as a, P- a PhD. Um, and th- interestingly, your PhD is called Exploring Teachers' Professional Development with, with Twitter. Uh, I'm interested in the exploring part. <laughs>
1: You're very perceptive. Uh, it's interesting, John. I cannot tell you how long it took to come up with that title. There's a little addendum on the end... Um, a socio-material analysis uh, yeah. and you you have to get your the title of your thesis within a very specific word count um, and it has to convey everything about your thesis in the same way that lots of things that go on the web these days will ultimately be searched for it's crucial that you have a, a choice of words so that any search engines is looking for particular terms will hopefully find find you efficiently um, and it also get, has to give a sense for the someone reading through a list of hundreds of theses that yours perhaps might be the one in which they're interested in, so it's got to convey that information, so yes it is an explora- exploration it's not a hypothesis about something it's not designed to prove anything, it's not looking, not looking for any causal relationships between um, under these circumstances this will happen Um, it's very much exploratory Um, and and that was as a result of um, a couple of things I guess first of all establishing it's necessary when you undertake a study like this that you're identifying a gap in our current understanding and knowledge Uh, that's very much what a PhD is about it's about making a contribution of new knowledge to to society and although Twitter hadn't been around that long, uh, there were some researchers who've been working on this so it was identifying something about Twitter and teacher professional learning or professional development that was different from the way that prior research had been undertaken and trying to find something new so, I guess they were the kinds of things that contributed to ultimately this becoming an explore- exploration.
0: As opposed to answering any questions, because, uh, 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 well, I'm not saying you didn't answer any questions, but you don't know, I mean you didn't have a, a main question. Because um, very early in the, 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 the write up, um, you talk about this idea of people saying that Twitter is the best CPD they've ever had. Um, I think you've got a few tweets pictured, uh, screenshotted in the the PhD, but you didn't sort of just look at answering that question really, it's this whole idea of exploring and moving around, yeah?
1: Yeah, um, you are required to specify research questions and it's important that you have them so that they provide the touchstone to which you can refer as you're undertaking your research so that you're aware if you are straying from that path and if you're able to do so then you know that they aren't shackles by which you are fixed but they do provide that guidance so I did have some research questions um, They're very straightforward I was just trying to find out Um, what the learning practices that teachers say they're engaged in look like I wanted to know how the Twitter platform supports them in those practices and whether or not those practices are restricted just to Twitter or does it extend to other places they could be on the web or elsewhere so those three broad questions but I guess you can encapsulate it in a single question, and and it's one that um, people who conduct this type of research use as a sort of a baseline. It's what's going on here. That's what you're trying to find out. It's not. I suspect that, and now I'm going to go looking to either prove or disprove that. It's just being open to possibility. I guess.
0: So that I mean that jumps us a wee bit further down. Uh, the, the PhD, I think, this idea you just mentioned of straying from the path, and you developed, I guess, a, a, I don't know, would you call it a research method? method this idea of um, flannery. Am I pronouncing it right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so straying from the path kind of fits in with that, really, uh, the idea of exploration. Um, and the last time I we talked on the radio, we talked very much about this actor network theory, um, mm. which I, I think at some point I actually had my head reasonably round after talking to you, uh, but the, the Flannery, Flannery one is seems to me just by its nature um, more open-ended, mm-hmm. more fitting for the, the exploration maybe. maybe. Would you like to tell us how sure. you got from one to the other?
1: sure Um, I I guess it wasn't from one to the other it was bringing the two of Mm. them together uh, under a common approach Um, and you you quite rightly said that I used the word straying earlier on that's perhaps a poor choice of words not rather than straying from the path it's been open to new paths I think that's more to do with it Um, I have to say that I didn't come up with the term flannery And I've got to give credit to the person who inspired me to pursue that path. And and, and the the, the study was well underway when I came across, or perhaps I was familiar with her before, uh, an Australian educator called Deborah Nettolicki. Uh, Deborah completed her PhD just about time I was starting mine and she's always been interested in the use of educational technologies and uh, and her role within school has been related to that but she called herself on her blog the edu Flaneurs, and I didn't know what that meant and so in looking through and, and looking back in and, and trying to find out the origins of this Deborah provided some information but the flaneur because it, it, it is a gendered term and the original flaneurs arose or uh, came into being in 19th century Paris and, and were male because the males unfortunately dominated society at that time or at least gave the impression they did. Um, the flaneur was um, an aimless stroller, a wanderer, uh, an observer, a chronicler of city life at the time and that sort of notion of going out there and very leisurely and casually um, observing what's taking place around you and being able to recount those tales in some form. The early flaneurs were often artists, whether they be poets or, or were involved with fine art, so they would render their findings in the particular medium with which they were associated. Subsequently, um, this, this sort of went out of favor when Paris changed um, uh, during the period that was referred to as housemanization, when these um, small, tiny streets were changed into these enormous boulevards and the, the arcades at the time. I'm not sure whether there are any arcades in Glasgow, little places, you know, mm. uh, hidden away alleyways with shops down them. I know we've got a, one or two in Sheffield and there's lots in Leeds and various other places, but there were there were many in Paris and they started to get lost and the um, department stores that we know today or perhaps are in decline today um, started to come into being. So the Flaneur l- not lost favor but just disappeared uh, almost entirely and then was resurrected in the 20th century um, and the techniques that they used started to become um, revisited so particularly with urban geographers as one might expect Mm. uh, photography had now come into being and you got uh, people who were flaneurs with their camera so I'm sort of (laughs) just getting off topic a little bit that's some of the history of the flaneur but that notion was very similar to the way that an ethnographer and would approach his or her study and it was an ethnography or at least an ethnographic approach that I started out from, um, and an ethnographer looks at um, society, at culture, at people. But there's something missing there from my study and that was given the way that Twitter is so mediated by technology Twitter wouldn't exist without smartphones and laptops and computers and wireless networks and routers and apps and applications and browsers and tweets. It's a highly mediated environment. So in the research that had been conducted, that seemed to be missing. That story wasn't there and that's what prompted me to look for theoretical approaches that address that more carefully and of the ones that I could have chosen I settled on actor network theory And I can't remember whether I mentioned this the last time we spoke but again to come back to edu talk I was inspired by one of your former interviewees in fact I think she's been back on a couple of times Anna Beck mm. um, oh dear I think Anna I was doing a PhD and talking to you at the time. And she was at Glasgow Uni, but I think she's at UWS now.
0: Oh, not wow. quite
1: sure. But anyway, so Anna was using actor network theory, and I she, it, what she was saying intrigued me. So I started to explore that more carefully, and it seemed particularly appropriate in this this case. And certainly, the research again going back to the gaps. And always looking for that gap that your research can fit into, none of the research on teachers using Twitter for professional learning had used a social material appro- approach let alone actor network theory so after all that that now gives us in, es- in essence three strands so there 's the original intention to conduct an ethnographic approach there 's the need to address the materiality, the non-human participants within this arena and there's that notion of exploration uh, in the way of an online space in in a similar way to that which the flaneur would have done in 19th century Paris so bringing those three things together I came up with this notion of a flanography so Connecting together closely, some of the elements within Flannery with those in ethnography, and coming up with this unique approach that also incorporated um, a social-material stance and sensibility.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, that I mean, that, that is really fascinating, and there's so many um, wee alleyways we could uh, fan on off down. There are there are one or two in Glasgow uh, arcades left, Um, um, but you've got this research and the other thing I think maybe not quite brought is it and maybe it's covered by the ethnographic approach is the idea that you yourself were immersed in this Mm. world.
1: Yeah, it's a good point, John. What I've given you there and and I've missed. rambling on, I've missed what you said earlier on, talk about some of the methods that's the methodological approach I suppose a set of sensibilities that i brought Mm. to this, but I didn't talk about the methods you're right Um, in a traditional ethnography um, the traditional ethnographies had a particular form, Uh, more recently particularly with the digital uh, realm they become more amenable to other possibilities shall we say um, and clearly, you can't conduct yourself in exactly the same way online that you might do face to face. So, there's been changes to, to, to sort of accommodate where we currently are in society. Um, but all ethnography involves, or uh, I'll just amend that slightly, <laughs> most ethnography involves participant observation, which is mm. what you referred to as immersion it's really important that you're conducting you're keeping an eye on what people are doing and making note of that and thinking about the way that things are going on but not from afar it is possible to do that and sometimes it's necessary Uh, but one would normally want to be a participant within the arena that is of interest to you so you're a participant observer so in order to better understand what people are going through um, their behaviours, their values and beliefs it's crucial to actually immerse yourself within that environment as much as is possible. Um, So participant observation, um, ethnography often involves interviews and there are various types of interview that you can conduct ethnographic interviews are traditionally the things which come up and discussions and dialogue that occurs in the moment as you're uh, um, conducting yourself as a participant, an observer um, so you would if something happened you would often ask questions about it at the time, there and then. But you, the, you can have arranged interviews as well so if there are particular people within an environment Um, that you feel may have something extra to say uh, then you may want to arrange a particular interview and then it can become that that more formal planned, structured interview Um, Often in ethnographies though not always and in fact there are some ethnographies that, particularly historical ones that are just conducted through documentary analysis So sometimes there are texts that you would need to um, look up. Um, if you were, oh, if you were um, conducting a study of something that's topical, um, it could be, oh, something in the news at the moment, immigration. Then you may want to refer to news articles as well as talk to people who are migrants or people who are affected by the issues of uh, immigration so that documentary analysis is often a part of it and all of those things came up in my study they were uh, choices that I made but there are also some additional things that were pertinent to this particular study some hopefully new methods one of the contributions I hope I made was to, to try to um, adjust things I can't remember whether we where I was in the study last time and whether I talked about it but um, one of the things that I don't have access on didn't have access to was the location and space that the other participants with whom I was researching where they were at the time so I'm currently sitting in my study I'm in front of a computer you may be somewhere else in your house and all the other folks mm. who are on Twitter that we might interact with and that may have read your tweet could be in completely different places. And I never had access to that. And I wanted at the time to try to capture a sense of that and put out a call for people to to try to narrate and record their activity as they were being active on Twitter. And I originally I called it Audio Arcs a sort of arcing mm. story and had a, <laughs> a disappointing response and in fact you were the one who set me straight I, I can't remember whether we exchanged mails or maybe it was direct messages but you said you would tried to do it but it just wasn't appropriate for the way that you use Twitter and that made, gave me pause for thought and thought mm, I needed to think about that more at the time and how that how to set that up and in fact as I subsequently found out that that is actually a method that is currently used or not often but it's called thinking aloud Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's used by folks very much in um, human computer interaction so it's not necessarily um, a, a research process but it's an evaluative process so folks who are designing Um, software and hardware for use will often get users to sit in front of the device or the software and talk about what they're encountering as they go through it so thinking aloud is is a technique that's around what I was hoping to make new was to try to do that in a sense remotely and also for people to use an app to do that uh, a voice recording app mm. I, I think
0: I, I think I remember, I think maybe the the problem is that, that Twitter is so invasive I could see doing that if I was using I don't know, say a graphics application or a text editor or good, good lord forget, forbid Microsoft Word I could sit in my computer and talk about it but Twitter, quite often I'll be, you know, you could be watching the telly uh, or Something else to be other people in the room, and uh, it feels very strange to sort of try and manage that whole thing, I think. Uh, Mm. Yeah, it's tricky um, because it, I guess, is so pervasive in our lives. Uh, I've tweeted, I guess, today from my phone, from a desktop client, from another app that probably calls an api and if i'd written a blog post it would automatically tweet and it, it, it's a very when you think of what used to be 140 characters is uh, quite a complicated thing that's well knitted into your your life
1: it absolutely is and and i think you've just illustrated there something that i just didn't pick up at the time because i tend to be a creature of habit and the way that i use it is if tends not to change very much It's Mm -hmm. very similar on a day-to-day basis Um, but it's that variety of different experiences and I think that became something that uh, arose later on as far as this the the, the topic that I was investigating to variety and, and personalization the way that people adopt and adapt it to suit their own particular needs
0: yeah, and just talking about Twitter, I've been very um, lax, and it's particularly ironic to, to say. If you're listening live, you can always um, tweet a wee question if you've got any questions or anything you want to say to us using the hashtag talk or at John Johnson or at Ian in Sheffield. We may catch our attention too, and we'll be happy to, to take some questions. Uh, and I'll put that out on, uh, on Twitter as well. Uh, right, um, Yeah, so you've got a very complicated thing you've decided how you're going to walk through it in this this flannery and you're collecting evidence from people by interviewing your interviews are pretty open ended for the most part um, yep. everything's quite open ended and one of the, the, the delightful things following your, your PhD is the open endedness of it, and um, PhDs t- to quite a lot of people seem terrifying, and um, because they seem to be, you know, so this sort of laser focus. But you can kind have of, your laser focus moves about a wee bit and develops over the, the PhD. And I, I, I'm presuming that's probably people that do PhDs know this. But it was it was a revelation, re- revelation, a revelation to me uh, to see that just following on reading your blog and things. Um, and the other thing was that you, you blogged as you went along, your PhD. Hmm. Could- um,
1: I, I, I guess di- different PhDs are different and mm. it very much depends on a couple of things. So the university that you're at, the department or faculty that you're in, the type of PhD that you're doing. So if, you on, if, you, if you've been... If you'd apply for a position as a PhD researcher under a particular um, supervisor who has a specific research question he or she needs answering, and it's a piece of funded research, um, then you may have very little latitude, uh, And that may be exactly what you want to do. You, you're working on a particular question that is that you're incredibly interested in. On the other hand, there are, if you're writing your own research proposal, as I did, you can specify your own questions. Uh, It depends on whether or not that gets funded or accepted. But you also need to choose if you're able to do so, but to, to seek out a supervisory team that's going to be receptive to the approach that you want to take. So there would be people within our university, I guess, that if I'd approached them with this particular study and I'd done what you just described and and, and I sort of adapted as I went along and things that sparked my interest would not have...
0: uh,
1: Yeah, new things that sparked my interest wouldn't have been able to... Um, be accommodated within the thesis had I not had the supervisory team that allowed me that latitude so yeah there's the there's a real variety John it just depends on Mm. where you go and what you do I guess
0: well I think seems particularly interesting Um, and maybe you could turn to we've got an idea at least of your your methodology of what sort of things you started to, to find in this exploration hmm
1: this this I guess is the really tricky thing because what people want from a study like this is and a set of bullet points mm.
0: um,
1: this is what I found bang bang bang
0: mm.
1: and in the thesis, to be fair, I have had a stab at doing that because I felt that I was obliged to do so. But, as you've suggested just a short while ago, it is such, it is so different for everybody. I felt trying to condense it into something simple something Mm -hmm. succinct just didn't feel that it was doing justice to what I'd actually found so yeah, you'll often get people say these days particularly about research (laughs) is, particularly with research with people and in education, that it's complicated or Mm -hmm. it's complex and it's messy, well they're saying that because that's the way it actually is To be fair to to the other people who have adopted other approaches to the same sort of area, by tightening your questions up and asking different questions, you can get to that solution. But there would be no point in me repeating what they had done to come to the same conclusions. So I chose a more open approach to try to yield fresh insights and one of those insights is that it is, in fact, very messy. And it's messy because people make it as they will. It's open enough to allow them to be able to do that. So I guess the first thing I ought to say is that that I I didn't disprove or I confirm the research that other people have found so some of the activities in which people are engaged include things like sharing resources seeking and giving support um, asking and answering questions um, reducing their isolation keeping up to date with educational initiatives so all of those things were apparent within my study too and I, I, I could have listed those but what my approach allowed me to be able to do i hope was to be able to show how it's more than those things to put some flesh on those bones to actually not try to condense or distill it down to a a few points but to take those points and actually expand them out um there's a group of Sorry, John. Go
0: on. I was going to say maybe a better question would be then, what sites did you see on your on your journey? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. That's that's a really good question, actually, um, because what I'm trying to do within the thesis, so within all the findings chapters, um, is to 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 actually do that to provide a sense of imagine you were taking this tour around a city which happens to be Twitter, what are the sites that jump out at you? Some of which are, wow, how amazing is that? And some which are more mundane. Um, so, for example, um, let's let's start with something that has, has been on talk, no doubt, and that's, I know you've spoken with Joe Dale on a number of occasions, and Joe's quite... Uh, well associated with the MFL Twitterati and there are a number of educators in Scotland too I'm uh, I'm aware of that uh, within that so there we have a community it's a self proclaimed community that people call themselves a community the MFL Twitterati or at least the ones with whom I'm familiar do and how does that community remain extant and what keeps it together and my social material approach would say well actually it's the hashtag MFL Twitterati is actually a hashtag not just that clearly but there are other aspects to it so within that you've got I think Joe's list contains if I'm right Twitter list another piece of materiality there Um, is it 5000 educators or is it 2000 whatever it's just it's a lot of people but there are also lots of other things that contribute to it so there's uh, a dropbox where they keep and maintain and and share these resources and borrow from it um, they have a wiki Uh, but you can compare and contrast that with another community, one more recent that's not been around perhaps as long as the MFL Twitterati, and that's Team English. And in fact there are a number of team and a subject area now, so I think there's a Team PE, a Team RE, um, Team Science, Team Maths, Um, and they are similar groups of teachers that are focused on a particular subject discipline, but are held together in different ways so there is a team English hashtag but it tends to be more the team English account is the actor which holds that team together they also have um, a Dropbox account similarly to the NFL Twitterati although it's I think they organize it a little bit differently now they've got um, team Lit Drive or is it Lit Drive something like that anyway so you've got these communities that are similar in some ways and are different in others. They have um, often different, um, different activities and practices in which they're engaged, even given the fact that they're different subjects. So there was a sense of community in looking at that. Um, then there's EduTweetUs, which was um, one might think a community one perhaps could say that but I don't think it ever calls itself that edu-tweet Oz as you might expect is educational Twitter in Australia but it's uh, a Roker account are R-O-C-U-R rotation curation account
0: mm-hmm.
1: where a different person takes the helm of the account for a week and so they get to well they get to drive it and that, that, that's fascinating from a number of reasons because of the way that if you're a member of the audience and if you're following that account, what you're being exposed to changes on a weekly basis one week you might have a head teacher, the next week it might be uh, a, a beginning teacher as they call in Australia or it might be a parent uh, who's interested in their child's education, so there's lots of different ways that that affects the audience. And if you're a teacher and or an educator and you take over that account, all of a sudden your Twitter becomes an entirely different experience. All the people who are following you are to some extent different. The kinds of things that you, it affects or at least the people who have, have sort of interacted with have said it affects the way that they conduct themselves on Twitter. They have to rethink and readjust. Hmm. Um, so there are just a couple of the highlights and there are certainly a number of others. Um, but one of the things that I found, and, and a lot of these came from individual tweets, so I became aware of EduTweet Oz as a result of, I've got to give him a shout out, Aaron Davis, who I think you, you know too well from Australia too, um, Aaron sent me a tweet and said, you know, or, or at least he mentioned me in a tweet where he was discussing his time in the chair of, edgy tweeters and that simple mention just popping my handle in his tweet meant that I was notified about that could follow it up by looking at first at his tweet and then at the blog post he'd written discussing it and then I could and it set a single tweet just set me off in that direction and and found this rich environment that's so unusual and so different to lots of the other things that are taking place on Twitter um, so individual tweets uh, and a notification really that's what it was if Aaron had just tweeted that and he hadn't mentioned me it might have just gone past me in the timeline yeah. I would never have seen it uh, and that's I think that's that's me as a researcher but I think that happens to participants and people on Twitter an awful lot Something catches their attention just as it's drifting past, and it's often the way that Twitter is assembled that allows those things to happen. Shall I say a bit more about
0: that? Yeah, well, I'm just the pulled me up. Twitter is assembled.
1: Yeah, well, I was going to say Twitter is arranged or constructed up, but it, yeah. I don't think yeah you have to be careful if you with the language that you use when you're conducting a social material study so for example and uh, and I'll give another shout out to another educator um, Martina Emka who's conducting her PhD at the same time as me um, you can't say Twitter is a platform because what a platform implies is that it's something that's used by people and if you put people in that hierarchy of Above the things that they use, that sort of bumps up against a social material view, which sees people and things, humans and non-humans, uh, symmetrically, in that they they are viewed as having. Hmm, oh yeah, you've really got to watch your language. Equal. If I say equal agency, mm-hmm. so they can, they are both capable of affecting other things and other people. So assembled, um, it's a number of things that are brought together and that work together and, con- uh, and are in a constant state of churn as they affect one another.
0: So, I mean, I think, I don't know if we've talked about this in, in on Edutalk or not, it, it sort of links to me with the idea of the, 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 the affordances that a piece of software, say, gives you. Um, that Twitter is very different from Facebook, say, is very different from, you know, they they, they give different things. Is that? Is that straying away?
1: Uh, A little bit. Affordance theory is a slightly different uh, realm, but what you said here is the same, that they are different. Um, We would talk in terms of them as being different assemblages. So an assemblage is a a group of things and people that are working together in, um, that are forming links and associations and are affecting one another um, in a state of constant flux. In order to maintain the associations and maintain the actor network that you referred or actor networks that you referred to earlier, then um, they have to continually maintain those connections and adjust them and sometimes drop them. As we see, people drop out of Twitter very often. Mm. If, you're at, if, if somebody's sent a tweet tonight mentioning Edutalk and they forgot to put the hashtag in, then they won't have appeared within the Edutalk stream. They'll not be part of our assemblage for that particular tweet. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process.
0: So what, One of the things that... I don't know if this is relevant or not, but when Twitter started a lot of the, the things hashtags, app mentions um, developed from from the users mm. um, that the that was very much user driven and, and it's, it's quite a different beast in many ways now, Twitter it's not as open to people developing different interfaces for it and different ways to use it uh, the, there's a lot of things that have, what I would say, is it have been lost. Um, other people might say something different, um, but it's become quite a different beast. And does that mean it's a different actor and it's having different effects? Is that?
1: I think it's not necessarily a different actor, but it's changed. Mm. So it, um, I guess the, the the. Uh, founders and the people who are currently running Twitter have their their needs and desires may have shifted from the original days. Um, it's clearly had to become a more commercial entity. It's had to generate its income, and I think that that need um, has had a big influence on the way that Twitter works and the way that it's assembled together and the different elements within it. So. Probably the bits that we can't see, the algorithms that work underneath it, it, which are incredibly significant in terms of what we do as users, those algorithms will have shifted. Um, And that means that the way that Twitter behaves shifts. So, and the people who are on it. A different mm. too and there's lots of bots on it now that probably weren't there at the beginning so the whole Twitter assemblage is constantly shifting uh, and sometimes it shifts in ways that we may not be entirely comfortable with
0: I, I, mean, I, just, I remember early days of Twitter when I saw it at first it was actually blocked on um, most school networks certainly blocked on Glasgow mm. City Council when I uh, I worked there but now local authorities are encouraging their their staff and have official counter accounts and things like that 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 use Twitter so it's become a a different place because of that I, I guess um, there are a lot of people who are delivering cPD um, officially are are using Twitter as well now
1: yeah um I I guess it's it's become more mainstream in one sense and I think that often with any um, digital platform like this people who are at the cutting edge move beyond where things are when they become more mainstream so people who, who like the new, who are not just interested but passionate about the new things and finding out how they work and unpicking them. Once it becomes more mundane and once, quote unquote, everybody becomes involved, then it's less desirable. But what you've got, of course, is then a new bunch of people that are becoming involved. Uh, and so that shifting assemblage. The people within it are shifting too, to some extent. Some will leave it and move on to passages new. And then new ones will come in and will drive it perhaps in a different direction entirely. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, one of the things that I, I noticed and, and what one or two people said that I spoke with is that commercially driven need mm. for Twitter to generate an income has to be questioned and criti- critiqued you have to think well if it's been what what, what are um, local authority employees doing promoting a product in a sense
0: yeah that, that, then that's an interesting question I think um, especially when uh, I do this uh, most teachers, now most schools I know do this, that we put pictures uh, of our activities um, today my class had a visit from uh, a local couple who brought in a big pile of fossils for us to look at mm. um, and you know, the kids had a great hour or so in the morning um, looking at fossils and talking about them and we put it out on, on Twitter uh, but it's almost like that then it's an approved channel um, and and we're putting children on there, encouraging their parents to look, encouraging maybe them to join up, which which is kind of interesting. Um, and maybe needs dug out. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you if that came up at all in your research, the way people use it, or you know. That
1: that sort of idea. It did, John. It it came through in a more general theme, which I, I called ambivalence. Um, the, there's a sort of rock and a hard no, not a rock and a hard place. The, the, there's a good and a bad to everything. So, having a platform which is provided for us, which is shall we just say free in air quotes. Um, is great but it, it isn't actually free there is a cost involved we are paying the ferryman um, and that might be going on behind the scenes in the more active we are the greater the revenue that Twitter can enjoy so it will encourage us to be as active as possible so there's all that going on and there's lots of other ambivalences where there are things which appear to be great but actually pe- peel back the curtains and and you'll notice something perhaps Less savoury um, that's taking place. Um, things like one of the reasons people are on there is that they can associate in a, with with other like-minded individuals, <laughs> and of course that's great. If you happen to be isolated, if you're in, for whatever reason, if you're in a small school, if you're in a one-person department in a secondary school, if you're uh, um, If you're in a minority subject, and by minority I mean it's a subject where there are few other teachers nationally, you may want to make international connections, or you may have a particular interest, a pedagogical interest. It's great that you can find other people with whom to associate and, and, and have your passion stimulated, but on the other hand do you then restrict yourself to this particular set of views and this particular bunch of people do you become more driven by that what you know sometimes an echo chamber or filter bubble effect so you've got this always this dichotomy this this sort of yin and yang um, It's and you have to be careful that you're aware of it
0: yeah uh-huh. I mean it, 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 it seems quite a uh a deep problem, and not one we're going to solve very, very quickly. Uh, I just wondered if you had a kind of the, the other thing that is there's quite a lot of people talking about unpleasantness that was on in Twitter and people having spats and uh, obviously all the, the the real negative stuff that happens quite often to celebrities or people who or people who get piled on. Now, I don't really think I see much of that uh, in Twitter, um, but. Did that come up in any of your research
1: it did but again it came up in different ways uh, what you I spoke with people who expressed similar views to you that they don't see very much of that I spoke with people who said that they are aware of that but they um, choose not to become involved and have adapted their account to ensure that they see as little of that as possible mm-hmm. using blocking and mm-hmm. muting and un- unfollowing um and then there are people who are aware that that's taking place and sometimes will become involved in it and then there are people who seem blind to it that it's taking place but it they don't perceive that as a problem at all mm-hmm. um so there's a real different set of views it yeah you can't ignore it at all um if in the same way that we can't ignore bullying or racism or bigotry or homophobia uh, it's something that's taking place but how we deal with it, boy that's a bit bigger than mm. I ever got into um, do we just get rid of Twitter and Facebook and the places where these think this is a really big conversation mm.
0: uh, I, I think it's it, 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 it one that it's quite hard to answer on how that new system would be constructed, but other two is practically how would you move people and uh, group them differently or whatever is 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 really, yeah, we're going off into the <laughs> into the weeds now. Um, so I wonder, could we just swing back um, for maybe the, the last few minutes onto the, the CPD? Uh, did you get any sort of feel of the? sort of import people gave to their CBD they got on Twitter that changed any initial impressions from the start of doing the, the PhD where you know, we saw quite a few people saying Twitter's the best CPD and uh, did you get a feel for actually how true that was
1: um, there are still people saying it. Yeah. Um, there are some people saying it still who were saying it right at the beginning and there are some new people who are saying it. Um, I guess the people who are no longer saying it aren't saying it, so I haven't seen
0: yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rubbish question then. Yeah.
1: No, no. But, 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 it's a very valid question. I don't think I a true answer is not something that yeah. I would be looking for. I don't think there is a, a succinct answer. But what I did notice is that there are things which are happening which are different so for example um, I think people can assume leadership roles in a way that's never been possible before yeah. and that are completely different I mentioned earlier beginning teachers in Australia well there are a group of beginning teachers and, and, for, and by that I mean what we perhaps would call NQTs In New Zealand, right in the middle of the study, they'd recently qualified as teachers, and um, it's a small population or smaller population than the UK. Um, I'm not sure, maybe comparable with Scotland, maybe a little bit bigger, Mm. but they don't have as big a community. As they would do in say the United States, so how do these beginning teachers, particularly in a particular subject discipline, keep in touch with one another after they 've left their higher education institutions and they started it was a i 'm I'm, I'm just trying to be careful not to name particular mm-hmm. individuals that they started um, participating in or became aware of chats educational chats, and there was one that was a subject-based one that they were influenced by they participated within it as lurkers. they gradually became more involved they one of them uh, led that particular chat one particular week and then subsequently about a year later they started up their own chat specifically for beginning teachers and so how could somebody take such a leadership role with it in a national and perhaps even international influence with only one year's experience how could somebody set that up without this and and there are other instances similar to that where you've got people able to take leadership roles and think about some of the national projects that have been taking place as a result of what's taking place on Twitter like um, Primary Rocks, Northern Rocks, Southern Rocks, Women Ed, Brew Ed, all of these things have started on Twitter, include a significant offline presence, but by and large, and and without doing a disservice to any of the people concerned, these aren't people who were necessarily within leadership roles within schools, these are people who just wanted to get together with others around a shared common interest. And we're able to set things up like that. How how would you normally get the opportunity to create a a sort of a a national movement? Perhaps too strong a word, but an initiative, a project, without sort of being able to connect with one another first on Twitter.
0: Mm, Yeah, well, and I think that sounds, to me, sounds a bit bit really positive uh, thing that you get more voices into to some sort of leadership. and more, just more voices generally from the from the troops, uh, and possibly having some influence. it Sounds like a a, a really a really positive thing about Twitter. Um, so the other question I, I always remember talking, and this is probably on Edutalk way back uh, to Margaret Vass. It was an early uh, Web two O, I guess, mm. educator in Scotland. Margaret was using blogs and. Um, Twitter and uh, wikis and things way before lots of us um, and talking to her at one point and she said she didn't know whether she would recommend people joining Twitter we're talking specifically Mm. about Twitter even though she used it and was very active so would you recommend that a teacher took an interest in Twitter and started using Twitter
1: Mm a very valid question. Uh before I started the research I would have said an unequivocal unequivocal yes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I and I did recommend that people um took a look at it. I wouldn't go so far as some people would say. Again perhaps it's the more evangelical Twitter participants who who say everybody should be on Twitter yeah. because I think there's much more to it I don't think it's necessarily an easy place to be on Um, and not thinking in terms of the the negative side that you referred to earlier but it's it's a very chaotic space to navigate initially and it takes a while and some degree of commitment and time and effort to get to the point where you are starting to get back a degree of value Um, and some people can't afford that time they're too busy either in their classrooms or trying to establish a degree, as, as far as a teacher can do, a degree of work life balance with which they feel comfortable. Um, so, would I recommend it? No, but I, I would certainly not dissuade somebody from trying it and seeing whether or not, or speaking with other people with whom they're comfortable and have complete confidence and trust in and see how they get on with it Um, yeah certainly try it but just to sort of that's part of the problem until you've actually committed to it and started (laughs) to invest you don't get any return on that investment and there's all all those other things that we mentioned earlier Um, should I be recommending something that's going to make, yeah but then we recommend Microsoft Office and we've got how yeah. many Apple, ed, um, whatever it is, Distinguished Educators and Google-certified Educators? You know.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a cultural.
1: Well, Sorry, John.
0: I was going to say, Macy World, I think you said at the start, uh, yeah, all these things are are, are are interestingly problematic, I think, and the more you see of them, the the, the less clear uh, a route through is. Um, yeah. Microsoft office is probably a pretty good one it wouldn't even be people wouldn't even think they were recommending a, you know a company at that point um, or you know Apple educators or Google teachers are all quite passionate usually about what they're talking about and uh, they're actually it's not part of the job sort of thing you know it's a it's a, it's a personal thing they're bringing to it and I guess maybe Twitter Twitter's is now at the stage where it's it's lining up with these big companies as an educational tool maybe not for the same reasons but certainly in the tool belt a lot of teachers
1: I think it just behoves us all to be a degree critical to an extent and and to a certain extent sceptical, not necessarily cynical but certainly be aware, fully aware of
0: of what we're doing and what we're
1: undertaking
0: yeah, that's Kind of getting conscious, in of the time um, we've we've run for about an hour now. Uh, I think there's there's quite a lot still more to to dig out, and um, be interested in uh, hearing some more, maybe about the, the how the findings were put together, and it may take a, a bit longer than than we have now to, to do that fully uh, so it's an open invitation as usual to come back and talk about that but just to round up is there anything you'd like to say to, that we've missed or you think is really, oh I should have got that in
1: Um, There's lots of things I would <laughs> love to talk about a little bit more but I, the one thing that I would like to say is just a massive thank you to a yourself, you were a participant, and you agreed to be involved in the study, but to everyone who agreed to participate and found the time either to to be interviewed or simply to answer my questions when i when I was on Twitter and somebody had tweeted something or they 'd written a blog post and I asked them a question everybody who was kind enough to provide a response i 'm incredibly grateful uh, because without that contribution i couldn 't have done anything so if any, any of you are listening at the moment, thank you so much.
0: And I'm sure they'll be listening. One or two people we have mentioned, and who oh, certainly, I would imagine, would catch up. Um, I've seen one or two people wave tonight, uh, they'll me wave back, and I'm just going to wrap this up and say thank you very much, Ian. I could listen to you talk about this in, I guess, it, a very precise and carefully thought-out way. Um, where most of us will blunder in and make um, incautious statements that we would later regret. Um, It's been fascinating listening to you. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks,
1: John. Thanks and bye, everybody.
0: Right, I'll say bye, everybody. Good night. Cheers.